Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Molly. Molly, what are you drinking right now? Well, Kristen, I'm having a Pilsner. Simpler Times Pilsner, which is the Trader Joe's brand of Pilsner. Me too. Um, We're drinking on the job, Molly. We are. And I want to point out, this is not something we typically do, though. I'm, no. I'm going to go ahead and say, I think it's helped the podcast we've done already. Yeah. I mean, I feel loose. Um, and we're not just drinking to be crazy. Today's podcast is about beer and women. But we thought to really get in the mindset. We're calling this research. And you know what? If if someone says, hey, gals, while you drink on the job, that's horribly irresponsible. I'm going to blame it right back on you, listeners, because we're doing this beer podcast because of responses on Facebook. I, I randomly said something about how we should do something on beer for St. Patrick's Day. And by the way, we need to do a special St. Patrick's Day episode anyway, because it's my mother's birthday. Happy birthday, Kristen's Happy mom. Happy birthday, Nance. Uh, but people said, yes, absolutely. Do a beer podcast and what's drink up beer while these, you do it. Yeah. What's up with these stereotypes of women and beer? Yeah, so oh, we're, oh, we're just trying to please. <laughs> so we're just drinking beers. That's all. So if you're of age, feel free to have one with us. Yeah, have a beer. Turn this into a drinking game. It'll be easy. <laughs> if Kristen says, if you will, that's one point. Hey, I have thanks also to listeners. I have tried to weed out, if you will. <laughs> um. Anyways, we're going to talk about beer and the stereotypes associated with it because, and this was something I was never aware of when I started drinking, drinking beer is considered unladylike. As someone informed me when I was 27 years old and I was like, what? <laughs> My 20s have been misspent. Um, But yes, it's considered the more manly drink Mm -hmm. of the alcohol drinks out there. Well, all you have to do is watch a beer commercial, Molly. Oh, very true. Yeah, it's it's a bunch of bros, you know, drinking some buds. Enjoying lovely ladies. Yeah. It's rarely like the ladies enjoying some buds, looking at bros. But if anyone is looking for a commercial like that, Kristen and I are available. Yes, um, to, we gladly give you insight on what kind of beer commercial would, would sway us. And, um, so yeah, it's considered a, a male drink. And you found a really interesting article, Kristen, I think that kicks off the conversation really well from Salon about food getting gendered. And this is another common question we get from people, um, who listen to the podcast is why is chocolate such a woman's food? Mm-hmm. And this article in Salon goes through and says, this is really only a U.S. phenomenon. It's about how the chocolate is marketed. It's about how, um, you know, we think about chocolate in the U.S. And it's become, you know, something you see in romantic comedies. That yeah. When the girl gets dumped, she gets a whole bunch of chocolate. Men eat steaks. Women eat salads. She never goes out and gets a six-pack of beer. So beer and chocolate are, are you know linked in this way besides being two things that I love and being foods that are highly gendered in that men drink beer because they just chug it, blah, blah, blah. And women eat chocolate because it's, you know, they're women. They love chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing. A lot of ladies are drinking the beer these days. There was a National Restaurant Association survey from a couple of years ago that found that about half of women are ordering micro brews when they eat out. They're not ordering some kind of Mike's Hard Lemonade Alka Pop 
All right. We want or a Cosmo. Why not a Cosmo? Or a Cosmo. Well, well, you know, sometimes I'll have a Cosmo. But, but they're saying that far more food. often than you'd expect, women drink beer. But the fact that it's a microbrew might have something to do with the advertising, which we're going to get into later. Mm-hmm. The, the idea is that women sip a beer that tastes good to them, whereas men kind of thrive on the fact that really, I'm going to put it frankly, skanky beer, you know, they can just chug it back. Because mm-hmm. I'll admit, I got some standards when it comes to beer. And so they're saying that women are more likely to drink one that tastes good, that has like this rich brewing history. And it might be because we have a slightly more refined palate. That's true. That I can was, appreciate all of the flavor nuances. There was a really interesting Wall Street Journal article about how women might be better tasters of beer and mm-hmm. how they have won tasting championships because they're better able to detect all of the flavors in the beer. Uh, and while... We are, like you said, when uh, a couple of years ago, you were told that beer is not a lady's drink. Mm-hmm. It is not ladylike to drink beer. But you should tell your little friend that according to a survey from the UK, dudes think it's cool when chicks drink beer. Yeah, I, I can't tell if this was a, a fluff piece just made to make some ladies feel better well, about their drinking habits. Yeah, I mean, this this survey was um, sponsored by a, a, the UK arm of Molson, of course. <laughs> but yeah, apparently uh, men love it when a woman orders a beer. Yeah, she's down to earth. I like to think of it kind of like the Rachel Ray effect. You know, she's sort of down to earth. She's going to make you some good nachos and she'll kick back a Tecate with you, too. I didn't know there was a Rachel Ray effect. I don't know. I think <laughs> I made that all up in my head. But just from watching Thanks, beer. men's responses from watching Rachel Ray with them, that's what I feel like happens. That's a whole other podcast. I know. So even though, you know, the numbers are there, the market share is there, women are ordering beer on dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, 35% of beer sales are to women, allegedly. Uh, let's talk about the history of beer. And okay. I want to kick off this conversation with one of my favorite sentences I've ever read in Stuff Mom Ever Told You Research History. I can't wait to hear this. Uh, it's from an article in McLean's. And uh, the, here's the sentence. All right. Why is it that beer, as opposed to, say, wine or cola, for that matter, has come to represent liquid masculinity in Canada and abroad? Surprisingly, this hasn't always been the case. American cultural anthropologist Alan D. Ames, dubbed the Indiana Jones of beer, has made it his life's work to reveal the true history of beer as an ancient symbol of the feminine. Yes. Whoa. Okay. A- There's an Indiana Jones of beer. B, liquid masculinity. Hello. C, the ancient symbol of the feminine. That's usually reserved for things like moons. Yeah, moons and menstruation. No correction. (laughs) It's beer, boys. It's beer. And, you know, when researching this podcast, there are all sorts of articles about uh, ancient cultures in which the beer making was a uh, pursuit that only women could uh could perform. They were the first beer makers. Yeah, I mean this crosses hemispheres. We got the Incan culture, we've got Nordic cultures. Uh if you fast forward um to when the British really developed their ales, who's making the beer? Alewives. Alewives and Brewsters. In fact, in many of the um, myths about how beer developed, it's always a goddess who gives this heavenly beverage to a, a mortal man. And there's one uh, anecdote. I believe it's Viking culture. I, this I is from wrong. ancient Finland. Ancient Finland. That's right. Where these goddesses mix bear saliva, honey, and uh, another kind of beer to make ale. Yes. Bear saliva. Only women could think of that. Only women could think of that. Indeed. And um, this article says that in almost all ancient societies, beer was considered 
a gift from a goddess and never a male God. So if we fast forward to the 1700s in England when they're developing their ale, women, aka the alewives or the Brewsters, because Brewster is the female form of brewer. Mm-hmm. So, um, Punky Brewster kind of adds a new Takes spin. on a whole new context. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but it's a common last name, which indicates that many families probably had a female brewer in their family tree. Right, because making making the ale was a part of their domestic duties. Right. Because at the time, ale was very important because it was a lot safer than the drinking water. Mm-hmm. And it also provided an important nutritional content. It was the easiest way for them to get the nutrients from cereal grains. Right. So it was very much a domestic chore. Along with making the bread for your family, you would also make a batch of beer. And, uh, it was not until the industrial revolution that we hit a pretty key turning point in the, in the making of beer. And that's when the beer goes more into factories and breweries and the men take charge. Yes. This is pretty fascinating. With the industrial revolution, we start moving, we have the, the rise of urbanization, mm-hmm. people moving out of the home into the more urbanized centers and men are working out of the home and taverns become a men's domain. Why taverns? Because of women. Because of women. Because their wives want them in taverns. So the wives are actually all about the guys going to and hanging out at taverns. That way, they're not hanging out at brothels with prostitutes. And they decreed, they asked bar owners to make their taverns male only so that the, the prostitutes wouldn't come to the bars to find them there too. Yeah, and we've talked about women behind the bar, um, the, the history of women and bartending. And it's such a, it is kind of a fascinating history because in some ways, we sort of shot ourselves in the foot mm-hmm. in terms of, of bars. And now we've kind of had to climb our way back. Um, but, but it started as, you know, wives being pretty happy their, their men were in a sanctioned male only environment. Right. And along with that and the industrial revolution, alewives become replaced by the male brewers because the women couldn't be in the bar. That's right. Now, Bar culture is pretty responsible for the state of beer advertising today. And that's because when television first came into being, people weren't buying them for their homes. Mm-hmm. But bar keeps would buy them. And the only thing on, because television was so new, there was no programming, were sports events. And nothing sells beer like sporting events. I mean, what goes better with football than cheap, nasty beer? Oh, nothing. Well, cheese dip. Maybe. Oh, that's, that is the correct answer. (laughs) Hot wings. Um, but yes, beer and sports have always been linked because that was the first thing on television. There were televisions in the bars. So pretty quickly, the, the beer makers figured out that if they wanted to sell their beer, their captive audience was already there. Yeah. They were already in a tavern watching the game. Let's put a beer commercial on. Right. But interesting how the women, specifically these wives, Mm -hmm. factor into the equation because you got to also remember that we had prohibition and after prohibition, they kind of had to, these beer makers had to re-educate the public that booze in the home is Mm a-okay. You know, it's totally fine. So they sort of built up, they also marketed to the women in terms of uh, beer being something that will make their husband so happy. After a, a day at work, he just wants an ice cold Budweiser. And it's just your wifely duty to provide that for him. And very interesting to me is the whole reason we have six packs is that that's what they deemed a woman could carry home from the store. Right. Instead of an eight pack, they were like, no, 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 no. Too heavy for Too... those dainty ladies. Yeah. And I don't mind that. I like six packs. They yeah. are kind of, they are kind of 
easy to carry. They are easy to carry, but I was a little disturbed to know that I could have been getting eight beers all this time. Yeah. Not necessarily for the same price. True. Um, so, like we said, beer marketing has constantly been centered around the male. But we have an early uh, female advertising icon uh, for beer sales who was a woman. Her name was Mabel. Mabel. She was this kindly beer gal who would dispense black label because you know what rhymes with label? Mabel. Mabel. There you go. So the saying was like, hey, Mabel, a black label. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there are some pretty interesting pictures on the Internet of how Mabel has evolved over time. Yes. The first Mabel, I think, got pregnant and had to quit <laughs> because, you know, doesn't really mix great with, with beer, though right. I don't think they knew that at the time. Right. Um but, you know, it was just a picture that was always there. So beer, very early on, this first advertising icon, that's how we sort of get this idea that beer makes you attractive to ladies. Well, it's lovely ladies serving the men the mm-hmm. beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not trying to make some kind of feminist statement. I'm ser- I'm just literally like talking about if you look at beer advertisements, it's like a cutesy, you yeah. know, kind of pinup style Pauli woman. Girl. Yeah. yeah. St. Pauli girl, a Miller high life girl. Yeah. You know, they're the lovely ladies with beer on a tray. So the fact that we, perhaps as modern women, are a little bit alienated from modern beer advertising just has to do with the fact that we kind of shut ourselves out of it in the first place. Now, one misconception that I had going into this podcast was that light beer was developed as something uh, for women because, you know, Diet Coke, things like that, diet sodas are clearly marketed specifically for for us because we got to watch our waistline. Well, and also, you know, they look at, at sales now and a lot of that light beer market is driven by women. Yes. But originally, that's it's like you said, Chris. It's a really interesting turning point in the seventies. Miller introduces Miller Lite, and to me, and to you, probably, Kristen, they had the sort of natural opportunity to bring in these ladies who were figure conscious, mm-hmm. who thought beer had too many calories, don't want a beer gut, um, and instead of you know approaching this as oh, here's a good female alternative. They get the manliest guys available. They get the sports stars of the day. They get Mickey Spillane, who writes, you know, those gangster novels. And they have them appear in the advertising campaign saying, light beers aren't sissy. They're the manliest beers of all because you can drink so much more of them. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like uh, Miller Lite was creating a need that wasn't there. They mm-hmm. weren't trying to keep these men from putting on beer guts. They just wanted them to have a lighter beer so they could drink more because if you've had a Miller Lite, it is, uh, frighteningly close to drinking water. <laughs> Kristen Miller Lite will never sponsor us now, but it tastes great and is less filling. Ding. <laughs> so, um, you know, it kind of took a while for that light beer market to become something that was a little bit more girly. I mean, they knew up front this was sort of quote unquote the girly drink. It's for the calorie conscious, mm-hmm. but they turned it into something that you can just drink more of. And there was one commercial where this guy was surrounded by Miller Lite cans. And I guess the the advertising rules prohibited them from implying that he drank them all. So he just said something like, it's not like I drank them all. Right. But the joke was that he did. And he so really if was. you if you were drinking light beer, you could drink more of it. And, you know, this this idea of chugging versus sipping is one that still exists today. If If an advertiser has to weigh his marketing dollars, the stereotype is that guys chug a beer and the girls are sipping their nice micro brews. So, of mm-hmm. course, they're going to they're going to come up with like a bikini clad model uh, selling beer because, you know, it is what sells and that's what their market is. And I would just like to add that uh, Miller made a brilliant move when it brought out 
its light version because, check this out, Molly, between 1973 and 1978, Miller sales went from just under 7 million barrels to over 31 million barrels, making it the most dramatic period of expansion ever recorded by a beer maker. And, you know, I mean, that's the thing is you can't really fault the advertisements. Um, you can be conscious when you view them, but the fact of the matter is they work. There is a reason why yeah. it's just dudes sitting around drinking brews and women are, you know, nowhere to be seen unless they're the person serving the beer or a sex object. And all of the, the articles that I found from the past few years that discuss beer marketing and women, it's constantly churning up the same problems of, you know, why it's all men. It's all men. It's all men. It's, you know, painting the women in commercials as kind of bimbos and we're still marketing towards men, even though research has shown that indeed women are making up a sizable uh, proportion of the beer buying market. And, you know, it's kind of funny because we've talked about, let's say, for example, movies how we wish there were more movies that adequately portrayed a female perspective, that everything is from the male perspective on film. Males get the the higher salaries. They're directing movies more. And so our answer is always usually like, be really conscious of what you consume and try and consume more female-oriented movies. I don't think the answer should be just drink more beer. Right. That's an irresponsible message. Right. But um, it's something to note. And I think that's something that came up in an article I read from Brewing Techniques mm-hmm. about women who are brewing their own beer, because that article came with a list of female brewers so that you could you could be a patron of a female brewed beer. And speaking of female made beers, we do have to call out the Pink Boots Society. I don't really know why they call themselves the Pink Boots Society. But the Pink Boots Society, uh, that is dedicated to women brewers and female lovers of beer. Mm-hmm. Because there are plenty among us. So that's one one place if you wanted to um, check it out. And Molly, I think the major takeaway from all of this podcasting that we've been doing is that, A, yes, the ladies invented beer. You know, so let's recognize the ancient times, our ancient roots. With bears. With bear saliva and honey. Mm-hmm. That's all we needed. Um, but fast forward to today, the fact of the matter is, brewers, both large and small, women drink beer. Yes, Krista and I are proof of this. And ladies, you know what? Don't, just don't be afraid of drinking beer. If you like a beer, have a beer. Yeah. Don't and if you don't like beer, feel free to try other kinds. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are, there's a huge spectrum of beers. Yes. We'll find one that you like. I'm more of a wheat beer person myself. I'm not really a big fan of IPAs. Oh, I love IPAs. You you load hops into a beer so See? so mm-hmm. much hops. I'm not a hoppy kind of gal. Oh, I love to hop. But you know what? It's okay though, Molly. Because you know what? Like I'll get my I'll get my hoe garden. You get your IPA. More for me. Yeah. And we will we will imbibe together. Kristen, uh, I just want to ask you on the record after doing a podcast. After having two beers at 11 a.m., Ooh. <laughs> would we do it again? I think we should do it every week. I mean, I've had a great, great time. Well, really, Molly, I don't think that you should be asking me. I think we should probably be asking our listeners. Listeners, could you tell we were drinking? I don't really want to know the answer to that question. But uh, if you do have something to say about beer, and yeah, if we, you know, if you want to talk to us about our morning drinking, <laughs> then you can email us at momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com. Um, and that's our email address. Just don't email my boss. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. So, in the meantime, I've got an email here about our kissing podcast. And this is from Karen. 
She says, I was listening to the Kissing Podcast over the weekend and was happy to hear you mention German so much. However, I wanted to set the record straight on German having 15 words for kiss. I've studied German for about 12 years and lived there for, par- for part of the time, but I only know four, and three of them are colloquial terms. Other nouns might include kiss as one part of the meaning, but are not synonyms of cuss. Instead, I'm guessing that the source you quoted included compound words. Compound words like these happen often in German, since it is, unlike English, English better morphologically equipped to build new words. So uh, some of the uh, compound words she mentions are uh, words for kiss of brotherly love, kiss on the hand, goodnight kiss, farewell kiss. So sorry to pop your bubble, but German speakers are no more creative in kissing language than we fair English speakers. They can simply say what they mean with one word, Instead of a, an entire phrase, which I still find impressive. Language. It's so funny. It is. All right. I've got an email here from Lachlan about our dream podcast. He writes, I just listened to your dreams podcast and I wasn't going to write in because I agree that talking about one's dreams is totally boring. But since you specifically asked, I'm a man whose dreams do not at all correspond to the quote unquote male dreams you were talking about. In fact, in my 28 years of life, I don't know if I've ever dreamed about finding money, fighting or killing someone or having sex with a stranger. My dreams are usually much more like the types of dreams women supposedly have. I was actually kind of shocked by the claim about men's dreams being all about violence and sex, since I don't remember ever hearing someone talk about having a dream like that. I was blissfully unaware that my dreams are strange, and now I'm apparently some kind of androgynous dream rebel. Ooh. An androgynous dream androgynous rebel? Androgynous dream rebel. I believe is the name of our album, isn't it, Kristen? Maybe that's the first Bloody Corsets album we put out. I know. With our lovely producer, Lizzie, as our bassist. <laughs> I hope you play bass, Lizzie. Sweet bassist. All right. If you have any emails for us, our email address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can follow us over on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. We'd love for you to like us at Facebook as well. I know we ask so much. Oh, and give your your beer recommendations. Yes. What kind of beer do you drink? People, let us know. Because, I mean, I'm lazy. I'm just going to pick up a six-pack PBR and call it a day. So enlighten me. And then finally, you can read our blog during the week. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You at HowStuffWorks.com. more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?